week three of a series here called Deeper, where we're following Peter, uh, one of Jesus' first disciples. We're following Peter from the, from the very first time that he, that he drops everything uh, and follows Jesus, kind of like the little boy in the video that just let the wheel roll away and he turned and went with the African Children's Choir. Uh, we're following Peter from when he first follows Jesus, and we're, we're learning what it means to, to be growing spiritually, to be going deeper all the time in our faith, and to be becoming more and more like Jesus every day, which is the goal. That's, that's the way it's supposed to work. Last week, we said that deeper is not a level of information. Deeper is a level of transformation. And I'm not opposed to learning. We all need to be learning But learning that isn't applied is just information, and learning that is applied is transformation. It's what you do with what you know that makes you grow. All right? If you're awake, you can say that with me. We're going to say that again. Uh, I'll say it one more time, then I'll get you to say it with me. It's what you do with what you know that makes you grow. All right? Here we go. It's what you do with what you know that makes you grow. There, you got it. You got it. There are some things that we see in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, that are like miracle grow. Um, I, I, you see, this time of year, people are trying to make things grow in New Brunswick, which is, which is a challenge. Um, there are things that we see, especially in the New Testament, that are like miracle grow on your spiritual life. There are spiritual disciplines and practices that you can apply that will they'll accelerate uh, your growth. They'll make you grow even faster. Uh, One of those would be having a a vibrant, robust prayer life. Like, you know, if you, many of you know this to be true, that when your prayer life is on fire, uh, you seem to be growing spiritually. Uh, Studying and applying scripture, God's word, getting into God's word is another one of those disciplines that it's like miracle grow. It'll accelerate your growth. Uh, Fasting is another discipline from scripture that, that God has has uh, instituted or he's put there for your, for your growth to help you grow. There are lots of other um, spiritual disciplines like confession, worship, uh, serving, even solitude is a spiritual discipline. And these are some of the spiritual practices that you can engage in that just kind of keep you under the, the spout of God's grace. They're like, they're like miracle grow, which causes me to wonder, I was thinking about that, you know, why do people put fertilizer on their lawns? Like, do you want to mow twice a week? Like, do you, you, you just want to mow even, even more? Um, if your lawn is the only thing growing in your life, you might want to try some of these spiritual disciplines. If your lawn is the only thing growing, okay? Uh, look at this slide. This is, uh, this is Caesarea Philippi. Uh, this is Caesarea Philippi. We were there last June. When it was 44 degrees, we will not go in June again. So uh, we're going to go to Israel again next year. Uh, but this is Caesarea Philippi. It's about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's right at the base of Mount Hermon. And uh, it was originally called, uh, this place was originally called Peneus, P-A-N-E-A-S. And uh, it was a center of worship for the Greek god Pan. Now Pan was a half goat, half man who played a flute and it's where we get the word panic no kidding if you see a half goat half man strolling towards you playing a flute you you panic (laughs) so that's where we get the word panic 
In 20 BC, Caesar Augustus gave the city of Pan to Herod the Great as a reward for his loyalty. And as a thank you to Caesar, Herod built this massive um, temple uh, of worship. He built it out of this white stone, this imported white stone, uh, where people could, could go and worship the emperor Caesar. When Herod died, Herod's son claimed Caesarea Philippi, the way that your kids will claim a piece of furniture when you go. Uh, Philip said, oh, dad's gone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that city as my place. And he renamed it Caesarea which is named after Caesar, Philippi, named after himself. I'll I'll give it a name that honors both of us, Caesarea Philippi. So there it is. Jesus takes his disciples north to Caesarea Philippi to clear up any confusion about who he is, about his identity. So if Jesus was looking for a place that would be the exact opposite of his mission and his purpose, if he was looking for a place that would be a a stark contrast to a a monotheistic uh, belief system in one true God of Israel, Caesarea Philippi was the perfect backdrop for that kind of a conversation. You know, Jesus takes him right into the city where where people worship flute-playing half-goat things. Half goat, half man, gods. Uh, Right into the city where Herod built a a massive temple where people could go and worship another human being, Caesar. A place full of superstition and man-made idols. Things and ideas that, that people have constructed with their own hands to take the place of God in their lives. And it's in this, this, this crock pot of beliefs that Jesus brings his disciples, Caesarea Philippi, to a, he brings them to a deeper level of faith where they declare him as God's son. So for you, if you're, if you're new to the faith, if you're a new believer, um, those of you who have been journeying with Christ for some time, you know this to be true, that even after you believe in Jesus and you begin to follow him, And even after you have incredible, life-changing, water-walking experiences, there will still be days, there will still be times when when your faith is tested. There will still be uh, lots of other ideas and man-made images that will clamor at your soul and ask you to worship them. Things that will will challenge what you really believe, even after you've made the decision that, that Jesus is the Christ, that, that you invite him into your life. Even after that, you, there'll be times when you'll be challenged. Like, who is he really? What does he really mean to you? Now, before we get into our text, uh, let, me just, let me just ask this. This will set it up, I think. How many of you would rather, how many of you, if you're given the choice between writing a term paper or taking a test, how many of you would rather write a paper? Not? Not too many. I write a paper every week. It's called a sermon. It's in full manuscript. It's, it's uh, six and a half pages. It's right here in front of me. I would much rather write a paper. How many of you are test people? You're like, I hate writing papers. Give me the test all day, every day. And how many of you would rather not raise your hand in church at all, ever? Because <laughs> only like half of you played along, Right? I'm terrible at tests. I'm no good. I'm the, I'm, I, I just, I, I dread, I just don't like taking tests. I'm not good at committing things to, to memory. And the worst kind of test of all that strikes fear in the heart of every student is the pop quiz, right? Yeah, yeah. 
whenever my teacher gave us a pop quiz, I got pop sick. <laughs> Sorry, got to go. You know, not feeling good. Um, Jesus gives the disciples, in this text that we're reading, he gives them a pop quiz. And Peter aces it. But he has a little help. Let's, um, let's read it. It's Matthew chapter 16. And beginning in verse 13, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked him, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed. In other words, good answer. You're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now this is a dangerous question to ask. Don't ask this question unless you really want to know. And the question is, what are people saying about me? Like if you sit down with a friend over coffee and you ask them, hey, what's, what are people saying about me? Don't ask that question unless you really want to know. And so Jesus looks at the disciples. Don't forget the backdrop there in the, in the in Caesarea Philippi. He takes them there on purpose. And then he says to them, you know, you guys, are, you guys talk to people behind the scenes. You guys kind of have an ear to the ground. You're standing around the, the fringes while I'm teaching. You hear the, you hear the scuttle, you know, the, the whispers that, that, that's going through the, the crowd while, the, while I'm healing people and while I'm, while I'm teaching. And Jesus says to them, what's the dirt? What are people really saying about me? Jesus was aware that not everyone immediately saw him as God's son. And even people who had a, a front row seat to his teaching and, and people who, who saw with their own eyes, they saw miracles happen in front of their very eyes. Um, they didn't immediately accept who Jesus was. And this is still true today. Some people see Jesus as just a historical figure. Or they see him just as a, a, a prophet or a good teacher, but not everyone today sees him as, as Lord. Um, back-to-back weeks with a C.S. Lewis quote. We read one last week, and here we go again with more C.S. Lewis. How many of you like C.S. Lewis? How many of you don't like raising your hands in church? All right. The old guy puts his glasses on. Here we go. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, which is Jesus. This is from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And this is what some people say, according to C.S. Lewis. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. 
He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense. Just hear C.S. Lewis saying that. About his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So maybe within eyesight or a stone's throw of Herod's massive temple built to Caesar, or maybe as people were passing by with their sacrifices that they were going to offer to the god Pan, Jesus asked the disciples the question of all questions. And if you've been here before, there's a good chance that you've heard me say this before. This is the question of all questions. Like You'll make a lot of big decisions in life. You'll make a, there'll be a lot of doozies, a lot of big ones, like, like where will I go to college and what will my occupation be or who will I marry or, or you know, will I marry? Like th- those, are, those are big, big questions. Life has some big questions. But the biggest question that you will ever have to answer is this question. It's, it's who will I serve? Who will I worship? Who is my Who is my God? Who is my Lord? And you can't answer that question without answering the question, who is Jesus? You you can't get, you have to, at some point you have to answer. Well, who is he to me? Who do I think Jesus is? Now, if if you're clear about that, if you're clear about who Jesus is in your life, then that conviction will speak to all the other decisions in your life. If you're clear about who Jesus is, you'll filter everything in your life through a Jesus-first conviction. It'll affect how you spend your time. It'll affect how you spend your resources. It'll affect how you spend your life. What you choose to pursue, the things that that become important to you. You'll run all of those things through a Jesus-first filter. If you clearly know that Jesus is Lord and you keep him as Lord, and you let that conviction inform and transform all of your decisions, you will lead a God-centered life, and you will have fewer regrets. Now, I didn't say you won't have any regrets. I think we'll all have uh, a few or some. But you'll you'll lead a God-centered life, and I believe you'll have fewer regrets. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. You'll never miss time that you give to Jesus. You'll never miss the time that you give to Jesus. You'll never miss money that you give to Jesus. I've made a lot of bad financial decisions in my life. I, I, I'll stand out here and tell you that. I've made some doozies and some whoppers and some what were you thinking. But I've never missed any of the money that I've ever given to Christ. You'll... That's never been a bad, bad decision. You'll never miss that. Um, you'll never regret saying no to anything if it means saying yes to Jesus. Okay? Go back. You'll never regret. You'll never regret saying no to something 
if it means saying yes to Jesus, you'll always be like, that, okay, that was a good decision. That was, that was the right one to make. Back to verse 14. Verse 14. Well, they replied, some say he's John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. These guys are answering the pop quiz like it's multiple choice. But Jesus and Peter know it's not multiple choice. It's true or false. The, the Jesus question is not multiple choice. It's, it's true or false. He's either God or he's not God. It's true or false. He's either the Messiah or he's not. And all the options that they give are dead people brought back to life. You notice that? Well, you might be John the Baptist. And if you are, Herod's in big trouble. Because <laughs> he beheaded John the Baptist. You might be Elijah. Or some people think you're Jeremiah. Now, there will be a day when Jesus is dead and brought back to life. But this is not that day. On this day, he's life brought to life. On this day. And so Jesus pushes them. He presses in a little bit. He says, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. But who do you, who do you say I am? If you have to answer, if, if you have to decide this morning, where do you put me? Am I just a, a prophet brought back from the dead? And, and Peter clears his throat. It's not in scripture, but I'm sure he did. <clears throat> he probably swallows a lump. And, and he's, he's, he's getting, re- getting ready. He's going he's gonna to answer. And the statement that Peter makes is the statement that Jesus builds his church on. Jesus, up until this point, has, he's been leading them. He's been teaching them. He's been showing them who he is. But, but no one had said it this clear until now. This is their, their, their public proclamation, their declaration of, of faith. It's verse 16. Simon Peter clears his throat and he answers, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Wow. Wow. And Peter's friends probably looked at him like, Where did that come from? And maybe Peter had a look on his face like, Where did that come from? Because Jesus says, Good answer. I'll tell you where it came from. So maybe they're all wondering, like, whoa, whoa, dude, like, wow, that was, that was deep. Where did that come from? Verse 17, Jesus replied, you're blessed, like A plus. Good answer, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, because my, my father in heaven has revealed. Now, we highlighted that word revealed. We want to focus on that for, for a few minutes here. How did Peter know this? Maybe Peter's looking like, I don't know where that came from. It just, whoop. It just, and all his friends are like, dude, like, like, where did that come from? And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you, Peter, uh, how you knew the answer to that question. <laughs> Which makes me think about uh, times when I've been writing a test and I'm praying, Lord, this would be a good time to help me remember that right, right, right there. And, and Jesus says, Peter, I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how you knew this. My father in heaven revealed this to you. Now, this is, this is pre-Pentecost. This is, this is before uh, the, the full-blown coming of the, the Holy Spirit. This is before Acts chapter 2 and the phenomenal arrival of the Holy Spirit. But, but God's Spirit was obviously working in Peter and in, in revealing things to him. Peter is, is dialed into God's voice. He has... Uh, his spirit in tune 
with God's spirit in a way that God can speak to him and God can reveal things to him. Now, this is the natural progression for someone who is following Jesus and going deeper in their spiritual formation every day. Don't miss this. If you're a new believer here this morning, if you've recently come to Christ, um, if you're learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus, this is follow this progression. This is a natural progression for someone who, who claims to, to be walking in Jesus Christ. You, you, are, you are led, you should be led by God's Spirit. In fact, the longer you live and grow and, and follow Jesus, it should be more of Him and less of you. And so right up until death, it's just, it's just more of Jesus leading you and less of you leading yourself. And so we, we get a glimpse of this here when God says to Peter, I'll tell you how it happened. You had your spirit kind of dialed in with God. Like you're, you're living in a way, Peter, where, where God is able to speak to you and he's able to reveal his truth to you. And now you're, you're proclaiming that and, and you're living it. And we see God, the evidence of this in your life. Um, Jesus mentioned this in John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. So if you're a follower of Jesus, um, I was going to get you to say, bah, but you don't, if you don't like raising your hand in church, you're probably not going to buy like a sheep. So, but anyhow, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. He says, I know them. And they, they, they follow me. When I speak, my sheep hear my voice. They're like, oh, Jesus, let's, let's, go in, let's go in his direction. Let's, let's follow him. Some of those spiritual disciplines I mentioned on the front end of this, of this message, when you engage in those disciplines, they, they turn down the, the, the noise and the static and the confusion of the world. And, and some of those things, they, they crank up, they, they amplify uh, God's voice in your life. We turn up God's volume in our lives when we turn down all of the other noise. Like if you're wondering, well, why don't I hear from God? Why am I not being led by a spirit? And why, well, I, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever heard from God. Well, I would encourage you this morning to turn down all the other stuff. Turn it down. Turn down the, the speed of your life. Turn down the, the noise and all the other stuff in your life. And, and just get yourself dialed in where you can hear. So we, we, we turn up God's volume in our lives when we turn down the other noise. To tune in, there might be some things that you need to tune out. If you're going to tune in closer to the voice of God in your life, you'll need to tune out a lot of other stuff that is banging around in your head or screaming at you for attention. Now, the work that God was doing in Peter was a work of revelation. God said, uh, Jesus said, my father in heaven revealed this to you. It's a work of revelation. God was revealing himself to Peter, helping him to see Jesus clearer and clearer. I just got these, these, these new glasses because I'm old. And I'll be 46 in July. And I, I, I don't know what that applause means. I was with uh, Pastor Buckingham this week, and, and uh, he's doing the math, and he's like, oh, you got about, you got about another 30 years to go. And I'm like, pastoring this church. I'm like, I'm not young enough to have another 30 years to go. I got these, these, these are new. I've had glasses before, but anyhow, 
got these, went, sat at my desk, put these on. Kaboom! Everything was like high definition. I didn't realize how blind I was. I feel everything. It's just like, whoa! And it made such a huge difference. Um, God's Spirit, when, when, when the Holy Spirit gets working in your life, um, he brings everything into clearer focus. You, you, you start to, the fuzziness just kind of lifts, the fog kind of lifts, and you start to see Jesus clearer than you ever did before. So in the text that we're in, in Matthew chapter 16, this is pre-Pentecost. But Peter obviously has the beginning work of the Holy Spirit guiding him. And Peter would not be able to explain this to you right now. Like Jesus is helping him understand it. He would not be able to explain how this, what was happening. In John chapter 16, Jesus talks more about the role and the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask, oh, there it is, high definition. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Jesus says he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it's not looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him, the Holy Spirit, because he lives with you now and later will be in you. That was later he will be in you. That was a a foreshadow to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, he follows up on that promise. Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, to the disciples, he says, Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, uh, which is the Holy Spirit, as I told you before. Uh, Verse 5, Acts chapter 1, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and we call this Pentecost. Uh, last Sunday was actually the day in the calendar year when we, when we recognized Pentecost Sunday. We're a week late because we're special. Get over it. Uh, the Holy Spirit in Pentecost literally blows the doors off and blows the roof off and fills the room with smoke and wind and fire and a magnificent display that makes our light show look like fireflies. I mean, just just nothing compared to what God was doing in Acts chapter 2. And the promise of the Holy Spirit being with them becomes the promise of the... the, Oh, back that up. Let me try that again. Give Give me another try. Okay. The promise of the Holy Spirit being with them becomes the presence of the Holy Spirit being in them. It goes from the promise uh, of the Spirit being with them to the presence of the Holy Spirit being in them. Now, Acts chapter 2, and we're just going to grab uh, a bunch of verses here because I can't read the whole text. But we're just going to we're just going to highlight a bunch of verses here from Acts chapter two that reinforce us. Then this is after the the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, "Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this: these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's nine o'clock in the morning, which is well, that's much too early in the morning to be drunk. They're not drunk." So what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Over to verse 22, people of Israel, listen, Peter says. 
God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. I just love Peter's um, boldness here. He's speaking to this massive crowd, and he's got no fear whatsoever. And he just says to them, you nailed him to the cross. You nailed him to a cross, and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Down to, yeah, yo, go ahead. Yeah, that's good. Peter's preaching up a storm in verse 32. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we were all witnesses of this. He says, everybody knows that Jesus raised from the dead. And there were still eyewitnesses alive. If you don't believe us, go and talk to them. Everybody knows God raised Jesus from the dead. We're all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and here today, verse 36, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God made this Jesus who you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to all your children, even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, right through rush hour at Swiss Chalet, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation, that those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Uh, it makes me wish I, we had the baptismal tank filled. Should have. Should have. We should have had it filled. Um, and it would have been awesome. Someday, I don't know if we'll ever do this, but someday I'd love to have a portable baptismal tank right here in like the Shamu splash zone right out there. And, we, and, and you get the full effect of somebody going down in the water and being baptized in the name of Jesus uh, right out here in front. We might do, we might do that someday. If we ever do that, um, who wants to buy one of those? Anybody want to sponsor? I need a sponsor. Who doesn't like raising their hands in church? One of those portable baptismal tanks that we can bring right in here. It'd be, it'd be awesome. Um, obviously, a couple thousand centuries before C.S. Lewis, but P- Peter, Peter is preaching the liar, lunatic Lord's speech. He's declaring the true identity of Jesus. And he's saying, hey, Jesus is not just a king like David. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He's the one true son of God. And you killed him. And God rescued him. And we saw him. And this is your opportunity right now to repent of your sins and to believe in him and to call on his name. And you will be saved. And about, yeah, and about 3,000 people (laughs) believed and received Jesus. Now, we grew a lot last year at Moncton Wesley. If you come out in the annual meeting, I'll tell you all about it. We grew a lot last year as a church, but we didn't grow by 3,000 people in one day. Not yet. It might happen. It might happen. How do I know? How do you know if you're growing spiritually? How do you know if you're growing spiritually? Well, let me just give you some ideas here. 
When was the last time you heard from God? When was the last time God revealed something to you? You felt led by his presence. A time when you, you, you know for certain that you chose his will over yours. Or you clearly knew that God was speaking to you. Or that God was revealing to you. Or that you, 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 you knew that your, your life was being led, being filled by the, the spirit of God. It's the only example I can think of where listening affects your vision. When you hear him clearly, you, you see him more clearly. When you hear him speak deeply to you, you just see him clearer than ever before. Like Moses drawn to a burning bush, his voice draws you to a place where you see him clearer than ever before. In verse 16, Peter accurately defines Jesus' identity. He's clear about who Jesus is. And because Peter is clear about who Jesus is, Jesus reveals Peter's identity to him. And he changes his name from Simon to Peter, the rock. In other words, it's like, since Peter, since you can tell me who I am, I'm going to tell you who you are. Let me say it this way to us this morning, church. You find your true identity in the identity of Jesus. When, When you come to him, when you trust in him, when you believe in him, when you follow him, you're more you than you will ever be. And he'll help you understand you. And, and you'll, you'll be clearer about your identity and who God has made you to be and what his plan for your life is. You'll see him clearer than ever. and You'll see yourself clearer than ever. Then in verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church. Let I say to you, you're Peter, which means rock. And upon that rock, upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. At this point, I've said this a few times, I'll say it again. At this point in Matthew chapter 16, it's a foreshadowed Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches to 3,000 people and they come to Jesus. When Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church on you, Peter had no way of knowing what that meant before the, the death in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, after the resurrection, Peter gets to stand in front of a great crowd and he, and he tells them, you guys killed him. God raised them. Now you need to repent. And 3,000 of them repent and are baptized. And the church, as Jesus said, the church has never been snuffed out. It's never been extinguished or killed off because Jesus said it's his church. He'll build it. And the powers of hell will never, ever conquer it. If you want to... If you want to turn up, if you want to turn up the volume of God's voice in your life, you might need to turn down the volume of a whole bunch of other things. God might speak to you right now, and he might start pointing out a whole bunch of things in your life, and he'll say, you know what? He'll say, that that thing right there, that that sin or that that thing that you're doing, that it's, it's just, it's blocking me. I can't speak into your life as clearly as I'd like to until you turn that down, until you get rid of that, until you shut that off. Rid yourself of that noise and that racket and all that other stuff that's, that's, that's trying to get your soul so you can just hear me. I want to speak to you this morning. God might be speaking to you about that right now. Listen for his voice. Let his spirit guide you. Pastor Jay is going to lead us in a a great song inviting 
the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we prayed this prayer before church this morning. Come Holy Spirit. Fill this place. Fill every heart. Fill every life. That we would all leave here this morning. Dialed in uh, to God's voice. To God's spirit. This, uh, he's gonna, the song is called Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. And fill the atmosphere. And as you sing it, don't just sing it for the building. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Sing it for yourself. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill my atmosphere. And I invite you to come and pray this morning. If you want more of God's presence in your life, if you want to be completely filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've been going your own way and doing your own thing, if you want God to reveal his plan for your life, if you want God to speak to you, if you've been spiritually stuck and you need a refreshing, a reboot this morning with God's presence, I invite you to come. I'm going to pray, then we're going to stand and sing, and then you come and respond to the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we want you. We need you. We recognize this morning we're, we're fooling ourselves if we think we can do this on our own. We, Lord, I, just, I, I plead and ask you to come and fill this room and fill this place and, and fill every heart, including my own, including the pastor's. Holy Spirit, would you help us to turn down all the noise in our lives so we might see you more clearly and hear you more clearly. We respond to your presence right now in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.